Well, uh, last time we were together, we were on Wednesday night, we were in First uh, John chapter 5, and we really thought that we had finished most of this and that we were going to move on, but the Lord really, He actually used Brother Andrew Weinbarger on the way back from Greensboro. It was about 12.45 in the morning, and we were coming down I-40, and uh, He said something that really captured my heart about this series with Confident Christianity. He doesn't even know that he said it, but the Holy Ghost knows that he said it and uh, really set our hearts ablaze for a thought from 2 Corinthians. So we will very quickly, very briefly give you those five aspects of Christian confidence that we have already preached. If you've missed those messages, make sure you go back in the archive and listen to those. That way you can have all of this into context and understand exactly where we're coming from. But this will be a, a final thought, Lord willing, on confident Christianity, confident Christian living. And I am absolutely convinced that there is a reason God has us here studying this out. We have spent weeks belaboring this thought and really trying our best through the Word of God to convince you, to persuade you, to have a personal belief system that includes you being confident and having authority as a Christian in the world that we're living in. It's imperative that everyone here knows exactly what it means to be confident in the Lord Jesus Christ and not in ourselves. There is something to be said about being a Christian. It means something to be a Christian. Now, that word Christian has been taken and has been used and it has been abused and there are dozens of factions and false religions and false teachers and false prophets who use the word Christian. And what they teach is pagan in theology. It has nothing to do with the Lord Jesus Christ, His kingdom, or His word. So we have to, to almost redefine that word Christian to mean Bible believer. That the word of God from Genesis 1-1 to the end of Revelation is the inerrant infallible, holy inspired word of God. It is our line in the sand. And we preached that clearly last Wednesday night about why we must cling to the authority of scripture for our life. Let's go back to First uh, John chapter 5. Go to verse number 13. We've read these uh, almost until the pages are faded here, but uh, no doubt it still means as much as it did the first night we read it. But verse number 13, for the sake of time, we'll get this thought in our heart. These things I have written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, and here it is, our first instance of confidence, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God, and this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. Verse 18 says, We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that the wicked one toucheth him not. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness, and we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true. And we are in Him that is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. 
And then he gives a warning in this last verse. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Tonight, my final thought, Lord willing, where we want to go with this is a sealant that we will apply to the foundation of confident Christianity. In my mind today, as I studied in my office, I thought of, of the missions projects we had done in Costa Rica and in Cuba and the Dominican Republic. And somehow, Brother Ken, I always got assigned to mixing the concrete. Mixing concrete by hand will make a man out of you. Can I get a witness? If you have no electric mixer and you have been told by your father that you are to make sure that the concrete stays ready and that it stays wet and it doesn't have too much sand and too much rock and keep a good supply of it and you are pouring a 28 by 28 pad in the middle of nowhere, pouring the rain, it will change your life and it will build your faith. Wesley, of all the people in this room, you know what I'm talking about when it comes to concrete. And if you will, in my heart, this is how the Lord really spoke to me, this is the bull float, if you know what a bull float is, that smooths the surfaces and it's the final preparation to seal in the concrete work to give you a solid, stable, smooth place to build from. That's exactly what the Lord's given us here tonight. A reminder of those five elements of our faith and why we can be confident. It's one thing to say, I'm a confident Christian. It's an entirely different thing to say, I'm a confident Christian and here are the reasons why. And then tonight we'll come to the end of ourselves and we'll realize that there is a limitation to who we are as people and that there is a person, not an idea, not a doctrine, not a fuzzy feeling, but there is a person who comes to the end of who we are that sustains us with authority and with confidence to live in this world. And I'll go ahead and give you a preview into that person. His name is the Holy Ghost. The end of us, the end of who I am as a person, and we'll find that from Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth. Now, let's give you very quickly, I cannot go back and re-preach all five of these. Let me just simply give them to you, especially if you're new to the study, you can write them down. But in 1 John 5, in the 13th verse, number one, we can be confident of eternal life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Confident of eternal life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God, David, I do not have to guess where I'm going to spend eternity. I know where I'm going to spend eternity. I know that if I died tonight or if the Lord Jesus were to come, I would spend all of eternity in the presence of my Savior. I know. And from there, all confidence grows. Now, secondly, we can be confident of answered prayer in the will of God. Confident of answered prayer in the will of God. It's one thing to pray like we're at a fast food restaurant. Lord, I'll take a number one with uh, no pickle if you're Pastor Nathan. And I'll have a fry and a chocolate milkshake. God is not interested in our fast food order. God is interested in his children 
praying according to his will for their life. And we can be confident that if we pray in that attitude and from that posture that praise God, he will hear our prayers and answer our prayers according to his will. And then in that, we've said this every time we've talked about it, it's so vital for us to remember that as we pray, that we remember who it is we're praying to. Jesus Christ is alive and well tonight. Let me say that again for the Baptist in the room. I said, Jesus Christ is alive and well tonight. He's on the throne. He's in charge. He's in control. God the Father is on his throne of supremacy and authority and power and might. And so when we pray according to his will, we pray with the four chief pillars of God's sovereignty always in mind, praying into the will of God, knowing that no matter how he answers, it is the perfect answer every single time. We talked about this in detail. God is sovereign over the universe. God is sovereign over salvation. I did not save myself the Wednesday night I got saved. God, the Holy Ghost, convicted me, opened my eyes, and God was sovereign over that whole process. God is sovereign over suffering. There are some of our brothers and sisters in Christ tonight and you are in a season, you are in a great difficulty in your life and you are suffering. Praying into the will of God means that I can pray into the will of God knowing that my God is sovereign even over my suffering. That God knows exactly what's best for me and that I look through a glass darkly. I cannot see all of the ways that he works and so I can trust that my broken heart my, my pain, my emotional consequence of life is still in his control and in his hand. And then we talked about God's sovereignty with a divine purpose. So number one, confident of eternal life. Number two, confident of answered prayer in the will of God. Number three, we saw clearly that we can be confident in victory over sin and victory over Satan. We already know the results of the final battle. The, the, the war has been won on our behalf. Jesus has already paid the price and the fatal blow has been dealt to the devil. It's just a matter of time and praise God, all evil and wickedness will come to an end and it will be finally judged in the compartment that God created for evil and wicked and unbelieving people to be. And that place is called hell. And the devil one day will get what's coming and, and it'll all be served perfectly by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Godhead. And we saw that perfectly. We can be confident over our own sin, our own flesh, and we can be confident over Satan. We can be confident, number four, that we belong to God. And number five, confident of Christ being the one true God. Buddha is not God. Allah is not God. Uh, humanism does not lead to the God of our Bible. Uh, yoga and turning over a new leaf and all these uh, Far East ideals that are uh, really taking over many of our young people, especially in Asheville, uh, we, we are overrun with it. We're inundated with the idea of spiritualism. It can be your God. That you can worship the mountain, you can worship the sun, you can worship the sky. And what we've become is Romans chapter 1, worshiping the creation rather than the creator. 
And at the end of the day, we can be absolutely confident that we, the, the, the church, that we got called by God, but we got called out by the only God. I said the only God. And we can be confident that we've got the right one. We don't have to doubt. We don't have to worry. We don't have to fear. We are the sons and the daughters of the most high God who created heavens and stars and moons and planets and galaxies and rivers and streams and oceans and even the human heart and the intricate details down to the cellular level. That's your God. And you can be confident in that. If you don't understand that, you'll never be confident as a Christian. If you don't understand that, you'll never be able to apologize your faith to someone who challenges you and comes from a, a, a very uh, uh, cerebral place trying to uh, disassociate you from the supernatural. Well, science proves that your God can't be. Science proves that creation is impossible. There are some of these elements that the foolishness of men will never understand. And we can have faith that our God is exactly who the Bible says our God is. That makes me confident. It takes me above myself that I don't have to be confident in me to know who God is or I don't have to be confident in me that God is God. God didn't have to have me to be God. That's how much God he is. But in love and in grace and in mercy, he wants a relationship with you. He wants you to talk to him. He wants you to follow him. He wants you to obey him. And from there, we can be confident. And we talked about at the end of that last message, I will say this. We talked about recognizing the voice of the Holy Spirit. How to know that God is speaking to us. How do we know that what we hear in the tone of accusation comes from the evil one and not from our God? We looked very carefully at Scripture. And I believe that the Spirit of God is best displayed towards us in His character and we are called to emulate, we are called to duplicate this in our own lives, and it's called the fruits of the Spirit. So if these are the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5, then this is the tone of voice, this is the actions of the Spirit towards His children. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering, gentleness, goodness and faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And then we challenged ourselves to prepare the ground of our minds to be able to hear the voice of God speaking to us through His Word, speaking to us in our prayer closet. And it's in Philippians 4, it's the 8th verse. It says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, and whatsoever things are pure and lovely, and those things that are of good report, if there be any virtue... And if there be any praise, think on those things. These are the things that we prepare the ground of our mind with to be able to listen to the voice of God. Better said this way. If you spend six hours looking at Facebook, if you spend six hours watching YouTube, if you spend two minutes watching local news, without a guarded heart and a guarded mind, you're going to get off track as it pertains to being able to communicate appropriately with the Holy Spirit. You'll never be able to pray in the fashion God wants you to pray if you're consuming more of the world's material than you are His Word. We talked about that very, very clearly. 
And then there's a verse here in 1 John 4. It said, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Praise the Lord. That is a synopsis, if you will, of five messages that gets us to where we are tonight. Now, I want us to seal this thought up. I really want us to drive this home and hide this in our heart. And it needs to be said, church, it needs to be said that we as Christians have a great personal responsibility as it pertains to our walk with God. Let me, let, me, let me really drive that home. All of us that are here that are in the faith tonight, we all have a personal responsibility. We all have a personal accountability as it pertains to our own walk with God. You will get out of your relationship with the Lord what you put into your relationship with the Lord. You will reap what you sow. And for all of us that are here, sometimes, especially after a week like we've had, Jubilee was one of the most powerful weeks of my entire life. Wednesday to Sunday, God breathed on this church and he did things that I still don't know what all he did. I'm just living in the afterglow of what he did. But listen to me, right here, right now, especially Trinity family, we are at a crossroads and we are at a choke point. And if we're not careful, we'll be so blessed and we'll be so founded on the goodness of God that we will take the gas off, if you will, and we'll just rest in the afterglow and the goodness of God. And if you don't mind, allow me to use this analogy. We'll just sort of take us a spiritual nap from our big meal that we had. It was like Thanksgiving morning, Thanksgiving afternoon, every night in this building. It was incredible what God did. He fed us spiritually. He encouraged us. He charged us. He saved people here Saturday and Sunday night. It was incredible to see what God did. And if you're not careful, you'll take off the gas just a little. You'll rest in the afterglow of all that God did. And if you're not careful, you'll start asking God to do more than what he's willing to do as it pertains to your life with him spiritually. He wants you to participate in this lifestyle. We have a great personal responsibility. And so our confidence in answered prayer, for example, this is the greatest example I could find this afternoon in a short amount of time in, the, in study in the New Testament our confidence in answered prayer comes from the authority that comes from the obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Our confidence only can come from obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot be a disobedient, rebellious child and have confidence with your father. It doesn't work. How am I to go to my father if I'm 10 years old living on Clinton Avenue in West Asheville and I have been nothing short of a hellion all day long? I won't listen. I've lied. I've thrown another baseball through that window yet again. I've done everything I should not do and I have rebelled against my father and his wishes and his clear instructions for me? How in the world am I supposed to sit at the end of the supper table and say, Daddy, we had a good day today, didn't we? Hey, I've got some things I need to talk to you about. No, my father loves me enough to say, Son, we can always talk, but I want you to know that I'm disappointed in your disobedience. 
You broke my heart today, son, that you, that you didn't listen to what I told you to do. And we can have fellowship, but Winston, it's broken fellowship. It, it's not to the level it could be if you would have been obedient. And so when I go to my Father in heaven and I pray for all these things that are heavy on my heart, there is a difference in the person that comes in the authority and the confidence of unbroken fellowship, asking the Father for something in his will, than someone who comes with petty, rebellious sin all over their lives. If your prayer ever makes it to the ear of God the Father from the Son, he has no choice but to answer his Son. But he has no authority to take your prayer if you are not being obedient. Go to John chapter 14. Don't take my word for it. Take the words of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Take his words for it. John 14, go down to the 13th verse for sake of time. This is in the final Passover. Jesus is giving instruction to his disciples and he is giving them the good news that they're about to have authority to pray and to ask in God's name for those things which they need. And he says, whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, we could stop right there on verse 13 and 14 and shout ourselves silly. We could absolutely rejoice for the rest of the night in verse 13 and verse 14. But Jesus said more. He qualifies the entire statement and he spoke the words in verse 15. If ye love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, Winston, then keep my commandments. Obey me. I, I don't know how to say it other than this. If we want our prayers to be heard and if we want God to lend an ear towards us in our time of trouble, then there are some strings attached from a holy God who is jealous and righteous all at the same time who requires from us the expectation of obedience to his will obedience to his word. We do not live our lives as Christians in confidence, living these flippant, unengaged, irresponsible lives. We don't just go day to day. We pray. We're spiritual creatures. We ask God for leadership, guidance, and direction. And from that, living up to the expectation of what God asks of us, and that is not only to be obedient, but he knows that we are to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Praise God, sanctification is gradual. It's a process, ladies and gentlemen. Now, you are sanctified the moment you're saved. But then your sanctification increases less of me and more of him towards righteousness, towards obedience, and then the relationship grows. And then you get some of these people that have been serving God for 45 years, 55 years, and when they come and they speak with different authority and different confidence and different wisdom, it's from unbroken fellowship and a relationship with God that surpasses what a 33-year-old can even ascertain or know. 
Praise God for the paradigm of God's perfect plan for us to grow in grace and knowledge. That is a loving God. Praise God, David, that that the Lord did not expect that the night I got saved at 15 years old that I would have the knowledge and the understanding that Poppy had. Thank God for that. Thank God that the Lord does not expect me as a pastor at 33 years old to have the wisdom of a 76-year-old man who's loved and lived for God longer than I have. That's how it works. That is a beautiful picture of grace and mercy. But it still puts the pressure on us as the children to be obedient to the will of our Father. He wants you to obey Him. Because he wants to answer your prayer and have that unbroken fellowship. And here's what we have to understand. That at some point, you're going to be tested and you're going to come to the end of yourself. You're going to come to the end of you. You has the end of the rope somewhere. There is the the final ounce of who you are as a person. It lives somewhere on the inside of you. You have limitations. You have walls that you can hit in your own life where you come to the end of you knowing what to do. And if you've not lived long enough yet to get to that place, I promise you in all love, not to scare you, but to encourage you and to warn you, at some point in your life, you are going to come to the end of yourself. It's all going to run out. All of your wisdom, all of your knowledge, all of your life experience, all of what you know about everything in life, it's going to come to an end. And it will depend, the, the next move that you make when you come to the end of who you are as a person could be the defining moment of your life. It will be a defining moment in your spiritual walk. You can know your Bible and know it from cover to cover. And praise God you do, you should. And you can tithe until you are broke. And you can sing until you choke. And you can come to every service and every ministry and serve and do all these wonderful things for God at the church. But let me tell you something. In 2023, as dark and as wicked and as vile as it is, not even a mile from this building tonight, If God's children are going to make it another week, another month, another year. If God tarries another 50 years and we have to strive and live for Christ in this sin-sick world, it's going to take you coming to the end of yourself and having a personal, real relationship with the Holy Ghost of God to lead your life. I don't care how long you've lived. I don't care how many chapters you can quote. You will come to the end of yourself and at some point become desperate for the next inch of your life. This is how this happens. Take your Bible and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. So here we are. We have these pillars or these incredible points about what it means to be confident. Eternal life, answered prayer, belonging to God. That our God is the one true God. Wonderful things. But now we need a little more. This finishes that out. This gives it a polish. This gives us more understanding. And it allows us to come to the end of ourselves and rest in who He is. I'll give you two things out of 2 Corinthians. The first is the Holy Ghost guarantee. 
The Holy Ghost guarantee. You take all five of these things and you add it up and it's a wonderful thing and, and now you're left with all these ideas and, 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 and you really want to live for God and be confident and, and now you feel like you don't know what to do with all that God's given you. Well, praise God he gave you this verse here in 2 Corinthians 1. Go to the 20th verse. Let's read this. For all the promises of God are in Him, yea, and in Him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. Now He which established us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God, who hath also sealed us and given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. God the Holy Ghost seals those who belong to him and guarantees that they have no expiration date and guarantees that they will never ever spoil. They are kept, they are perfect, and it is the final layer, it is the sealant, it is the icing on the cake that all of this confidence that God's going to build in you and all of these things that he's going to let you see, that it's not up to you to keep it. It's not up to you to learn it by yourself that God the Holy Ghost has sealed those that belong to him. Now that, those two words, sealed us, in the Greek it's a perfect match to an ancient practice where soft wax is placed on a document and the owner of the document takes a large ring off of his ring finger and dips that into that soft wax and inside that seal is an identification marker that that document is truly the intended document that it says it is and that it is a possession of the person who is sealing the document. The word here, it infers to a document that has ownership, that it is authentic and that everything inside the document is protected. It's backed up somewhere else. It's not just the note itself, but there is a federal reserve that backs up what the document says. And when you look in the mirror and you know that you know that your name's been recorded in the Lamb's book of life, the Holy Ghost says, yeah, you are. And even though today, Winston, you may not feel like you're saved, I know that you're saved. As a matter of fact, I can see my holy seal of promise that guarantees that you belong to me. Praise the Lord. You've been sealed, signed and delivered for his glory. You've been sealed. The seal of God is an irrevocable seal. The seal of God is a seal that can never fade away. You cannot lose your identity as a child of God. You cannot lose the blood being applied to your life. There is no hope for a child of God who's really in the faith of that child ever going to hell because of the seal of promise applied by the Holy Ghost. This is the Holy Ghost guarantee for your confidence. Your confidence doesn't have to be in who your pastor is. Stay with me now. Your confidence as a Christian does not have to be directly tied to who your pastor is. 
You love your pastor. You pray for your pastor. You beg God to use your pastor. You respect the authority of the pastor and him preaching the word. But at the end of the day, it does not matter who my pastor is as it pertains to my eternal security because the Holy Ghost, who is above the pastor, signed and sealed and delivered me. That's wonderful news for those that are saved in the building tonight. If you are, say amen. 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 You've been sealed. Non-returnable, non-exchangeable, totally and completely binding agreement between the creator of the heavens and the earth and the person who the document is about. That's you. It's the Holy Ghost guarantee. That's why you can be confident. doesn't matter where you're sitting tonight on a Wednesday night as it pertains to your confidence with God. It matters that you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And then this word here, This earnest, the earnest, this is like the earnest money that you give in real estate. This is the guarantee or a pledge or rather a down payment. And the Spirit is the down payment on the believer's eternal inheritance. That is to say, this is not everything. This world and what you're living in, child of God, the Holy Ghost guarantees, it promises you, That this is not it. This isn't it. There's more to come. This is just a down payment on what God has secured in heaven. This is just a small taste. When God blows through this church and people get saved and we worship and we rejoice in the glory, it's just a small breath from heaven to give you a taste, an appetizer, a teaser, a down payment on what is to come. And when you're living in Asheville, North Carolina in 2023, and you're living in this sin-sick mud ball in 2023, it can get hard to see the good. It can be hard to remember who you belong to. It can be hard to be confident and to speak with authority as it pertains to the Word of God. But God said, I loved you, I sealed you, and I will give you a down payment on what's coming. The guarantee, the earnest money. That is the Holy Ghost guarantee of confident Christianity. And the last, number one, you have the Holy Ghost guarantee of confident Christianity. And then lastly, you have the glory of the Holy Ghost ministry. The glory of the Holy Ghost ministry. The Holy Ghost is not an idea. The Holy Spirit is not a doctrine. The Holy Ghost is not a warm, fuzzy feeling like a slipper on a cold winter morning. The Holy Ghost is a person. The third person in the Godhead who has personality and who has power and authority. That of Jesus and God the Father working in concert for the perfect will of the Godhead. We are a triune people who believe in a triune God that works in concert. The three working together. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, go to the 5th verse. 2 Corinthians 3, go to the 5th verse. When you're there, say amen. Go back and read all of this. We don't have time to get into all of this tonight. But the 5th verse says, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. Well, let me read it again. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves 
to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, who hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. But if the ministration of death written and engraven in the stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? Paul is saying to you, Christian, to you, believer, to you, Bible enthusiast, that if you are in the faith tonight, the glory of the Holy Ghost, the glory of the ministry of the Holy Ghost, when he comes by your way and he whispers in the midnight hour and he rides with you in the truck on the way to work and he's there in the shower in the morning telling you that it's going to be okay and he's at the nursing home telling you you did the right thing, when the Holy Ghost is involved, that it'll be more glorious than what Moses received when he got the Ten Commandments on the mountain. The ministry of the Holy Ghost. And if you're living this life in this world, trying to do your best for the Lord, you must understand and you must know the voice of the Holy Ghost because you need to be ministered to. You need to listen for His voice. You need to know what the next step of life is. You need to know how to handle the grief. You need to know how to handle the pressure. You need to know how to have confidence over your sin and to be victorious over your sin. You can't do that if the Holy Ghost is not able to do His ministry. My question is, when the Holy Ghost comes by your heart, and he speaks and he whispers to your ear. What is the condition of your heart and is it ready to be ministered to? I've said it multiple times the past few weeks. I've been encouraging you before we meet together. Before we come and break the bread of life. That the church would pray and prepare to receive the preached word of God. As much as the preacher is to study and prepare to preach, the congregation is to study and prepare their hearts to hear the preached word of God. It means something different when you've been ministered to by the Holy Ghost and the preacher preaches. You know what we call that from behind the pulpit and in the pastor's pit? We call that liberty to preach. It's when God's people have come to give something back to God rather than just to look at God and say, well, what do you have for me today? What, what next? My plate's a little full. I sure could use some more macaroni. Like spoiled children. Rather than coming to God's house, which is a house of prayer and a house of praise, and saying, God, thank you for ministering to me this week. I've come to bring my offering of my life. I've come to bring my whole heart as a whole sacrifice, a living sacrifice. That's the difference we're talking about. Holy Ghost guarantee and the glory of Holy Ghost ministry. When was the last time? When was the last time you turned on a song you're reading your Bible in the morning, drinking your coffee. And you read a verse that you've read all your life. 
And all of a sudden, it's no longer black letters on white pages, but it is a glorious symphony of truth that has grasped your heart. And before you know it, tears are coming down your face. And God is showing you a blessed truth, a promise from His Word. That is not your emotion. You couldn't make that up if your life depended on it. As a child of God, that is the Spirit being stirred on the inside of you. And it is the ministry of the Holy Ghost. The Bible says it's more glorious than what Moses experienced when he received the Ten Commandments. What a gift God's given us. But it's all linked back. Pay attention. It's all linked back to obedience. To obedience. Do you know why some people say they can't hear the Lord? Do you know why some people say they can't pray? Do you know why some people cannot worship? Because there's a lack of obedience in their life. As we preach Sunday, if you're outside of the will of God, then you'll not be happy. If you're outside of the will of God and you belong to God, then something's going to be off in your life. There's something about being obedient, listening to that voice, and having the confidence and the authority that God has guaranteed for you. This is not my idea. This is not Baptist identity tonight. This is the holy, inspired Word of God. And it says that even in this land as Titus experienced, of evil beasts, always liars, and slow bellies. You can be confident in your faith and you can have authority in your faith. Not because of you, not because of me, all because of Him. Let the church say amen. amen. Holy Father, in Jesus' name. Lord, thank You for feeding us from Your table tonight. God, thank You for the depth of Your Word and how it so corrects our lives and encourages us and gives us exactly what we need. And Lord, I pray for every believer that's here tonight. God, would you encourage them? God, would you stir their faith? God, would you give them a cool drink of water from a deep well? And Lord, would you give them exactly what they need to be confident to live in the authority of your word? Lord, we're thankful for all that you're doing in the life of our church. Help us to be grateful. Help us to be tender. And God, help us to always live our lives Holy Spirit led with that guarantee, that promise, that seal that we have been delivered from sin, that we will spend an eternity in heaven with you, and that God, you will lead us, guide us, and direct us all the days of our life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.